It's actually Matthew 28, and uh, we are so blessed to have people that are part of this congregation from around the world, and I'm sure as you uh, interact with people through at the brunch time and so on, you recognize the blessing that the TCC has in the diversity of people that have come to this church. So this morning, the, the scripture is going to be read by Gustavo uh, from uh, Chile, from uh, Trudy Bartels from Ghana, and Thibaut Kai from China, uh, reading in Mandarin. So I'm going to invite these folks to come uh, right now, and we're going to read uh, Matthew 28, uh, 1 to 6. The English text uh, will be on the screen. Pasado el sábado, al amanecer del primer día de la semana, fueron María Magdalena y la otra María a ver el sepulcro. De pronto hubo un gran terremoto, porque un ángel del Señor descendió del cielo y acercándose removió la piedra y se sentó sobre ella. From around the world, the gospel is proclaimed, whether in Chile, South America, whether in Africa, in Ghana, whether in Asia, China, the gospel is proclaimed today, and we, we give thanks for that. Well, a lot of people have come in. We're full right to the back this morning, right to the fireplace. Uh, some of you didn't hear me say Happy Easter, so I'll say it again. Good morning and Happy Easter. Great to have you in our service this morning as we celebrate the risen Christ. My brother was uh, single until he was 45 years old. I asked him one day if he planned to get married. Would he like to? He said, I would like to. I said then, well, what's the problem? <laughs> he said, the problem is I'd like to marry a Christian lady. I said, well, what's the problem? Well, he said, I'm not living like a Christian man. I could have said, well, what's the problem? But I didn't because I knew the problem. He'd fallen in with a crowd that took him different directions than following Christ. But then one day he marvelously encountered Christ and his life was, I would have to say, uh, radically transformed. Uh, my brother and I were never too close, but when he decided to make Jesus really important in his life, uh, somehow it seemed to turn a corner in our relationship as well. And after all those years, I felt like I had a brother and we were on the same page. So one day I asked him if he'd like to come with me uh, on a little trip to California that I wanted to learn from another church that was doing some things that I thought maybe would be helpful for us to do and was a few steps in front of us. And he said, yes, the harvest on the farm was in, the 
The fields were cultivated, uh, the fall work was done, he would like to go. Uh, so uh, we jumped on an airplane, flew to Sacramento, and uh, I met the pastor there and I introduced my brother to him and the pastor said, Ron, do you have a family? Uh, he said, no. He said, I'm not married. Well, he said, we can fix that. <laughs> I have just the right person in mind. We all gave that nervous laugh like you know you do, let's not dwell here too long. Well, we got to the pastor's home, we met his wife, she said, I'm glad to meet you, Ron. Do you have a family? He said, no, I'm not married. Well, she said, we can fix that. I have the right person in mind. And there was that nervous laughter again, and I hoped that I hadn't just ruined his trip. The pastor said, well, that's what I told him. And uh, she said, well, who were you thinking of? And uh, he said, Natalie. And uh, he said, well, that's, uh, that's who I was thinking of. Uh, so it was arranged that we should meet Natalie on the following Sunday and that we would all go out together for lunch uh, following the service. I don't know why I felt nervous, but I, I felt a little nervous myself and I had nothing to do with it. And so this had all the makings of a great drama. When the service ended, my brother and Natalie said hello for the first time. And uh, then it seemed like they moved away from the rest of us a step or two. And before long, my brother came back and said, you can go to your own lunch. We're going to our lunch. I felt a little jilted, but a little excited at the same time. After 45 years, my brother had found another gear. We all went to our lunch, and there was much discussion as to what might be happening at the other lunch. The other lunch seemed to get extended, and while the rest of us had our lunch and went back to get ready for the evening service, there was uh, no brother and no Natalie to be found. It was just like they had vanished into thin air. After service, I went back to our hotel, and when midnight rolled around and still no brother, I went to bed. But I didn't sleep. Not too long after my brother came into the hotel room, it was two o'clock. I pretended to be asleep and that I was just waking up. But he was making enough noise that I knew he was excited. All he could say was, uh, I think I found the one. I think I found the one. I was now startled and sitting up in bed. You mean after 10 hours of conversation you think you know? He said, I think I know. And after six weeks, uh, he was engaged. And six months later, he was married. And now, 25 years later, celebrated their anniversary this past week, they've been walking a common pathway with Jesus as the center of their lives. You know, sometimes we experience a profound change when we're not expecting it. I had no idea of what that weekend would mean in the lives of two people. I had no clue. On that first Easter morning, a handful of people experienced a profound change they were not expecting. Their lives were turned upside down. They were so touched. They were so deeply impacted. Where, wherever they went, 
They couldn't help but overflow with their new reality. The two Marys, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, were beside themselves in grief. They couldn't stay away. They had to visit the tomb. And for the first week, uh, first time this week, I thought, what a delightful morning for God. This was going to be a morning on earth that our Father would enjoy so much. Now, I never really ever contemplate, does God have better mornings than others? But think what a morning for God, what a morning for our Father. I, I know you might spoil it for me and say, well, God doesn't do earthly time. Maybe he does. What a morning for the Father. What a morning for the Son. He focused his attention on a couple of women in grief, and his timing was impeccable, divinely impeccable. Just as the women were arriving at the gravesite, he dispatched an angel. And what an, what an assignment that angel had. It almost seemed like the angel precipitated an earthquake. Did you notice that? Maybe breaking the sound barrier. I don't know. It is so interesting that the earthquake flows right into the sentence. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. Sat on the stone. Now, if you have difficulty believing the Easter story, I get that. I get that. It's so incredible that we ought to have some difficulty with it. This is amazing. An angel is there to roll the stone away. An angel is there not to let Jesus out, but to let the women in. And this angel's presence took the guards right out of commission. It was zap, and they went into a dead faint. You were not going to have any problems with those guards for the next few hours. But the women were not zapped. The women were given the message to not be afraid. And the angel communicates with the women. And if I can paraphrase, I know you're looking for Jesus. I know you're looking for Jesus. I know who you are. I know the mission that you're on. I know you love this man with all your heart and you saw him crucified. But I'm on assignment today that will go down in the history of the world that this man <clears throat> died <clears throat> and was buried. This man called Jesus is not in the grave any longer. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said would happen. But don't be afraid. You can be excited, but don't be afraid. The women race back to tell the disciples, and you would have thought that maybe faith would have been stirring in their hearts by now. But Luke says they thought these women were just making up stuff, just had a spin to all of this to make themselves feel better. Their words seemed to them like idle tales. Sure. And all of us who follow have to do the same thing. 
we have to examine this story. We have to ask, what are we going to do about this story? We're going to ignore this story? We're going to say, ah, just a bunch of idle tales? What are we going to do with this story? One commentator put it this way, that when Mary turned and saw Jesus, this is in John's Gospel, it was as if the world was turning on its axis just slightly. As she turned one second into her turn, it was as though the world had shifted from B.C. to A.D., from before Christ to Anna Domini in the year of our Lord. One second before Mary had been in this woman agonizing in the depth of despair and darkness and sadness in the face of unconquerable death. And a second later, Mary is experiencing the highest possible joy in the presence of the one who has conquered death. Did you know? Mary was the first person in history to see Christ risen from the dead. And the joy and the elation that she must have felt is unimaginable. Now here's the thing. As people meet the risen Christ today, they experience this profound and unexpected joy. I never thought it could be in my life. Sometimes we experience a profound change when we are least expecting it. When we're least expecting it, and suddenly it's there. Suddenly it's there. C.S. Lewis, the Oxford scholar who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, described himself as the most reluctant convert to Christ in all of England. He described himself as someone who came kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. But he said the most surprising thing about his conversion was the joy of it all. Regardless of kicking and screaming, the joy of it all. So he titled his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. What happened at the garden tomb 2,000 years ago was absolutely profound in that it changed the world and it continues to change the world from 12 uneducated disciples to some women who believed in Jesus came a great following. Friends, there are now about 2.4 billion followers of Christ spread across the planet. The church is larger than Europe and China and the United States all put together. It is the biggest organization on the planet. It speaks more languages than the United Nations. It is awesome, profound, and it's beautiful, and it is God at work in the world. Sometimes we see profound changes in our world, and we would never expect it, or we would never anticipate it. We would never know it's just around the corner, and suddenly it's there. And this came out of a specific moment in history. What's amazing to me is that Jesus Christ never penned a hundred books, never penned fifty books, never penned one book. But there are hundreds and thousands of books written about him. There are more books written about Jesus Christ than any other subject in history. And he never wrote any songs, but check the internet and you'll see the number of songs written about Christ outnumbers any other subject. 
Some of the greatest music in the world is written by people who've loved Jesus through the generations. People follow Christ all over the planet, in Ghana, in China, and in Chile, and in every other country. One in three people in the world acknowledge Jesus Christ. And it all comes down to the resurrection. The resurrection is a world changer. The resurrection is a history changer. The resurrection is a personal life changer. And the changes that come to our lives when we come to know the risen Christ are worthy of review over and over again. Let me remind you this morning how profound the resurrection is. Here's why the resurrection is so profound. Number one, it gives us joy and purpose. It gives us joy and purpose. Jesus said before the crucifixion, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, you'll save it. After the resurrection, this became a profound reality for the disciples and for the followers of Christ. They were energized with new purpose and vision for the future. They had a reason to live. They had a message to proclaim. They had joy and purpose in their lives like never before. And the Bible says that these early Christians worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in home for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. If you were a, if you were a person living in the first century uh, Roman Empire, chances are you would have found a garbage dump if you walked to the outskirts of your city. On the garbage dump, you would probably have found discarded babies. In the first century, people who owned slave houses would go to those garbage dumps to retrieve babies to raise them as slaves. Others who owned brothels would go to those dumps to raise those babies as sex slaves. Yes, way back then. But followers of Jesus would also go to those garbage dumps and they would retrieve girls and boys and raise them as their own. They would adopt them. When hungry people in the first centuries knocked on the door of Christians and they didn't have enough food for everyone, the Christians would fast until they could all share a meal together. It's estimated in the year A.D. 250, that 10,000 Christians fasting 100 days a year were able to give one million meals to the poor and hungry. That's the power of the resurrection. That's the power of changed lives. A kingdom view of life. A vision to make this world a better place. And a heart to honor God. And we see people coming into that life changing experience with him and I love the purpose and the vision that I see in so many people today and you that are here today it's the vision of Jesus for a lost world it's it's the making of a difference in the world today it's just asking the question over and over again regularly how can I make a difference in the world for him it's understanding that this life is brief and that we have the years allotted to make a mark on the world. 
for the cause of Christ. It's a great purpose. And because of the resurrection, I can now live with purpose and significance. Jesus told us that he came to give us an abundant life. John 10.10 So you're not an accident. You are not an accident. God planned you. God gave you a day in which you were born because he had a purpose for your life. You were made by God. And you were made for God. So when we come to discover that we are so awesomely loved by God and that he made us and gave us purpose and meaning, it changes everything. When we somehow don't know the deep love in our hearts, the love of Jesus, we search all over for a lifetime to, for something to fill the emptiness. We try so hard to cram stuff into an empty heart. It may be sex. It may be food. It may be work. It may be fame. It may be pleasure. And it could be a lot of good things as well. But nothing Absolutely nothing fills the void. But when you realize you're made by God, you're made for God, and He has a purpose for your life, it changes your whole life perspective. You know, after the resurrection of Jesus, so many people became Christians. It was astounding. It began to shake up the governments. They didn't know what they had on their hands. So a great persecution was unleashed against Christians because their numbers and their message was growing so rapidly. And that persecution lasted for some 300 years in the Roman Empire. And it was always touch and go for a Christian. If you were a Christian, you could expect to die. And yet the Christian faith grew and grew because people found purpose and meaning in their lives. The resurrection, in spite of circumstances, is transformational because we have a message that changes us and changes our world, and it is deeply meaningful. The resurrection gives us joy and purpose. Secondly, the resurrection means that my past can be forgiven. My past can be forgiven. There's a great verse in Colossians that says that God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the changes against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross, Colossians 2.14. Jesus never intended for us to live this life weighed down by our guilt and shame. I mean, none of us ever need to be told that we make mistakes or that we have made mistakes or that we have sinned. Because we all know that. Uh, because we all feel it. And as the years go by, the weight of the baggage that we carry gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And the regrets of life stack up higher and higher and higher and higher. But that's not God's heart that we, that we carry this awful load day in and day out. And, and sometimes I find that people just dull to what they're carrying. they just dull to it. It's just kind of like that's normal. But Jesus gave his life on the cross and he was raised again from the dead to set us free from that and to offer us complete forgiveness and to give us a whole brand new start in life. 
Paul says in Ephesians 1.7 that he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He purchased our freedom and he forgave our sins. Back in the days when everybody used typewriters, anybody still know what a typewriter is? There was a little thing called uh, whiteout. You can still buy the product. In fact, our song leader used it this morning on some music. I saw her. If you make a mistake on the typewriter, you'd have to take the paper out, get it raised up a little bit, and then dab it with the whiteout. Just paint over the mistake. And then you just blow on it a little bit and let it dry, and then you could typewrite over again just as if the mistake has never been made. And then when electric typewriters came along, remember those? Some genius invited, some, in, invented something better called, with whiteout called the self-correcting typewriter. The self-correcting typewriter. Then, of course, we came to the age of computers, and now it's so simple. If you make a mistake, just hit delete, start again, and it's all gone. You just start fresh. Now, wouldn't it be great if someday someone down the road invented self-correcting people. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was just a self-correcting husband? Or wife? Who would say the wrong thing and then just back up and say it over again right. You know, like you're just like your mother. Oops. Back up and start over again. Wouldn't it be great if every spouse or friend or parent or child came with self-correcting technology? But the human race isn't self-correcting. In fact, we're self-destructing. But in His grace, God gave us one of the most amazing inventions the gift of forgiveness. And in a way, it's even more powerful than whiteout. At the cross, Jesus not only covered sin, he absolves it. He absolves it. He pays the penalty for it. And he removes it as far as the east is from the west. And Jesus is who he is, and he forgives us. And he gives us God's pardon program. He pays for my guilt. That means I don't have to pay for it. And friends, here's the good news. He wants to give, forgive your past. He wants to cancel every debt you owe. Every debt. Every debt. Oh, you say you don't know. Every debt. Every debt of sin. Every debt of regret. Every debt of shame. Who would do that? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Because he loves you. And he gives a new start. And I can't think of any better news for the world that we live in than that. That he forgives our past. And then thirdly, the resurrection means that I can be prepared for death and confident of heaven. 
Here's one of my favorite verses to share at a memorial service. But it's a beautiful Easter verse also. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that's kept in heaven for you. Pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. I know death is never our favorite subject to talk about. Sometimes it's the elephant in the room and we don't want to acknowledge it. They asked some children to write sentences about what they believed about death. Beth, only age eight, said, When you die, they put you in a box and they bury you in the ground because you don't look too good. And Stephanie, age nine, said, Doctors help you so you won't die until you pay their bill. <laughs> Marcia, age nine, said, When you die, you don't have to do homework in heaven unless your teacher is there too. <laughs> Raymond, age 10, said, A good doctor can help you so you won't die. A not-so-good doctor sends you to heaven. <laughs> the amount of time we spend on this earth is peanuts to the length of eternity. Here we might spend 50 or 60 or 70 or 90 years. I mean, it's getting longer all the time because of technology and other factors. But a hundred years on this planet is like a couple of centimeters on a meter stick. It's like we're still in preschool while we're on earth. Eternity is a long, 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 long time. And that's our future. We want to be sure to spend that eternal life with Jesus. How do we get to heaven? How do we find purpose and meaning on this earth but realize it's only for a short time? We want to think long term. We want to think heaven. We want to think eternity as well. And heaven is a perfect place. No sin in heaven. No mistakes, no evil, no bad, no errors. It's a perfect place. So to go to heaven, you have to be perfect. Only perfection can exist in heaven. And now we've got a real problem. Because you and I aren't perfect. At least I can speak for myself. I am so grateful for the grace of God. Because I'm a sinner. But the Bible says that none of us are perfect. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let me become more personal. Are you certain that you're going to heaven? Are you sure? If you were to die today and God would say, why should I let you into my perfect heaven? What would you say? I tried to be a nice person. I tried to be a good person. That's a great answer, but it doesn't do it. Because heaven is a perfect place, and you're not, and I'm not. Salvation is not by sincerity. It's by grace. Salvation is not by doing something. Even getting baptized doesn't save you. 
It simply tells others that you have given your life to Jesus. Salvation doesn't come because we grew up in a Christian family, and for generations, our family has been Christian. There's no magic formula for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Even just knowing about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not enough in itself. We need to respond to what Jesus did for us. We need to say in our heart of hearts and believe and commit to Jesus by saying to Jesus, I want to trust you. I want to follow you. I want to get to know you. I want to live my life giving my allegiance to you. I will follow you and trust you with my life. You can be the leader of my life. Some of you here today have been close to God in the past. But something happened. Something happened. You've drifted away. You've become distracted. What does God say to someone who has drifted away? Let me tell you the good news. Isaiah 54, 7 says, But with great compassion, there it is, I'll take you back. But with great compassion, I will take you back. Another translation says, with deep love, with deep love, I'll welcome you back. With deep love, I will welcome you back. Friends, that's great news. Do you know that you matter to God? The enemy of your souls will try to tell you that God doesn't want you anymore. You've just blown it too much. But God doesn't say that. He says, but with great compassion, I'll take you back. I welcome you back. You matter to me. This morning, I'm going to ask you to, to reach into your Sunday news bulletin and just take out a little insert. And uh, it's going to come up on the screen. It looks like this. And, and just take out that little insert. And just take a look at it. And, uh, you know, we can all find a place to complete this response card. And I'm going to invite you this morning to, uh, to make one of those checks on one of those circles on the right side of that response card. Uh, and, and then whatever applies to you, just sign it, would, would you, at the bottom and place it in the offering. This is kind of, this is kind of our response. So, so sign it and put it into the offering basket as it goes by. Now maybe as you're reminded of the cross and the resurrection on this Easter Sunday, you're just grateful anew for what Jesus has done in your life. Wow, and you read that and you say, today I'm thankful for the death and resurrection of Jesus and continue to walk in his ways. I'm just so thankful. And you might have come to Christ a year ago or maybe 20 years ago. But you're just thankful this morning for what Jesus did on the cross for you and that he rose again. Just make a little tick on that circle. Or maybe today you're being reminded that God is welcoming you back. And you've been struggling and drifting, but, but your heart is to come back home. And God welcomes you as you say yes to him in a very intentional way. And that second box circle says, today I am thankful that God welcomes me back, so I renew my heart commitment to live for Jesus. Ah, oh, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. 
Just put a little tick on that second circle and then just sign it. Or perhaps today you're responding for the very first time to Jesus in a very intentional way and you're saying, Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. I want you to be the leader of my life. Would you forgive my sin? Would you give me a new start as you come into my life? I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. That third circle, today I'm making a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ. I'm saying yes to Jesus, and I invite him to, to lead my life from this day forward. Just put a little check in that circle, and then just sign your name uh, underneath. We're going to have a moment of silence. And as we do, and as the Spirit of God moves among us this morning, and we respond to him, we respond to him as an act of dedication, put this little card into the offering plate as it goes by just a little bit later on in the service. Would you bow with me? Lord, we are so grateful this morning for Easter that you're alive, that who you claim to be, the Son of God, that you validated all that you did in giving your life on the cross. That you weren't just another person. You were the God-man. You were Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're so grateful that you came from heaven. You gave your life on a cross for us because you loved us that much. But you are who you are and you rose again from the dead, victorious over the grave. You are alive today. And some of us this morning just want to say, thank you. Thank you. Lord, we just tick that little circle to say, thank you. And some of us have been distant this morning and, and, and through these past days and weeks and months and perhaps years. And we want to come back home and have an experience with your heart anew and afresh to know that you love us and that we are forever yours. So we hear your spirit speaking to us this morning. We hear you and we respond. And some of us are just wanting a brand new start in our journey this morning. This is new. We've never walked this way before. And we're learning to trust and Figure out who you are, Lord. We're just beginning first steps today. But Lord, help us as we make you the center and the focus of our lives. We invite you, Lord, to come in and take control of our lives. We want to walk with you. We want you to be the Lord and Savior of our hearts and our lives. We want to find that joy and purpose in our lives. So Lord, today, come into our lives. Come in and give us a brand new start in life. Lord, we just are so grateful. We're so grateful today. And we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.